Amen. It's great to be together uh, this morning for Father's Day. I like Father's Day. I don't know about you. Father's Day, you get to eat a lot of food. You get to quit your detox cleanse for a day. Do you know what I'm saying? Dads, are you with me here? Um, I like Father's Day. In fact, I might just eat this popcorn right here while we do this thing. Um, I'm just excited to be here. You know what put me over the edge of excitement to be here, though? I was watching the World Cup. I like the World Cup. I love the World Cup. You may not see me for a month because I'm watching the World Cup. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I love it. And uh, my wife is funny. She's like, why? Why? I don't understand. I don't get it. You're getting up at five in the morning to watch this stuff and on the weekend and stuff like that. I love it. So this morning, because the United States is not in the World Cup, I got to go for Mexico, right? So Mexico is playing Germany this morning. And I don't know, I, I hope I'm not, I mean, did anybody record the game and you're hoping to watch it later or something like that? Really? Okay. Then I won't tell you the result. Or can I? All right. Dude, Mexico beat Germany. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? For those of you who don't know soccer too well, Germany is uh, the world champion. They're the defending reigning champion of the World Cup. So this is like a huge thing, right? Uh, so anyway, my, my, my smile was beaming as I arrived into the sanctuary of the Lord this morning. It's just a great way, other than prayer and study of God's Word, to begin your morning on a Sunday morning. Amen. We are continuing our time here um, uh, in our sermon series. If you're here with us here for the first time, we're talking about this idea, Church Without Walls. Um, this is an idea that, that we've, as we're studying the Gospels, as we're studying uh, the church, the early first century church, and just even more than that, just Jesus himself and who he was and who he calls us to be, we discovered that, um, you know, in time, what has happened with the church is it has been called a place, and it's, it's confused with being, I'm going to church, rather than I am the church. In, ter- in terms of the church itself is the people, the gathering, the Jesus followers that get together. Uh, when they get together, they're called the, the assembly, uh, the ecclesia, the church. And, and the idea here is that a lot of times within the, four, the confines of the four walls of a church, walls keep people in and keep people out. And we want to be a church without walls. We want to be a church where anybody can, anybody can come. Not only anybody can come, but we are a people that are sent. We, that's the most important thing, that we are a people that are sent into the communities, into our neighborhoods, at our jobs, and our, in our uh, schools to change as change agents in, this, in, in our current uh, society and culture. And uh, last week, we talked about... Uh, Jesus' mission statement in Luke 4, you know, he, he reads the prophecy out of Isaiah and then he sets it down and everybody's looking at him and he says, today, this scripture is full, this prophecy is fulfilled in your, in your presence, drops the mic. People are like, wait, isn't this Joseph's son? He comes in and is like, listen, you guys are ridiculous. You guys over here, you guys think that it's all about you, the Jewish nation, but no, God has a greater plan. And in fact, the heroes in God's plan, uh, a lot of heroes in God's plan through history were actually people outside of the Israelite community. We need to be a people that are sent. And we talked about Peter uh, and how Jesus himself would meet people where they were at. 
So he, instead, he's a carpenter, but he goes into a fisherman's boat, spends the afternoon with Peter, provides an incredible miracle, and then says, Peter, now you've got to follow me, because I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And we talked about this idea of, man, we, we want to be a church without walls, a church that meets people where they're at, just like our Savior has met us where we are at. Amen, church? Um, as we read through the Gospel of Luke, I'm actually really excited about this lesson today and what the, the study that we're going to have today, because it's an aspect of Jesus that I think we hit on, but we don't really uh, you know, peel out and, and draw out and tease out. And so I want to talk about this today. But, uh, you know, as you read through the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of where this, a lot of our uh, sermons here are coming from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, when you read through the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus uh, was very focused, as I said, when pe- meeting people where they're at. And from, and from there, in that setting, creating that space and that safety then to call them to follow him. And this is a pattern that we see in Luke 5. We see Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's home. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon, the Pharisee, during dinner. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. In Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Mary and Martha. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at dinner, at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself over to this guy Zacchaeus' house for dinner. In Luke 22, we have the count of the last Supper, right? Uh, Luke 24, after he's risen from the dead, Jesus finds himself walking on the road with these two dudes from Emmaus, and they're walking on the road to the mouse, and, and they, at dinner, he reveals who he really is, and then he, he disappears and becomes, you know, appears to his other disciples, and he's making breakfast for them on the beach. I don't know if you've noticed a theme through the book of Luke about what Jesus, his strategy, in changing the world. His strategy in meeting people where they're at. Luke actually refers to it in an interaction that Jesus has with some of John the Baptist's followers. So John the Baptist is his cousin, and John the Baptist is known as somebody who prepared the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist, um, his followers, he actually starts doubting, is this the real guy that we're waiting for? And so he sends some of his followers to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you the one, the Messiah, that we should be waiting for? And Jesus tells him, listen, tell John that, you know, the blind see, the, the sick are healed, and all these things. And, uh, and they leave, and so then he's telling his followers, what did you go out in the, in, the, in the desert to see? What did you expect to see? You know, a man, he's a pro- more than a man, he's a prophet. And he kind of builds up John the Baptist in a great way. And then he says this really interesting statement at the end of that interaction in Luke 7, verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. I just think it's interesting that Jesus, his reputation in the community was one of being a glutton and a drunkard. Somebody who came to eat and to drink. So, 
In the scriptures, in the gospels, we see Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came, it talks about in Mark, he came to serve and not to be served. And then this is another part where he says where he came, this is what he came to do. He came to eat and drink. In Jesus' ministry, meals mattered. And all the fathers in here said, to God be the glory. All the men in here said, amen. I want to follow that guy. He likes to eat and he likes to drink. In the book of Luke, Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. So as we start this summer, I love summertime. As we start the summer, you know, the, girl, the, the kids just got out of school, everybody's graduating, uh, this is sort of the beginning now of like, okay, we're, there's, there's uh, this summer vibe in the city, right? As we approach this summer, as we start this summer and all that goes on in it, I want to challenge us and call us today to imitate Jesus, that we would change the world. Who here wants to change the world? Just have a little bit of impact in the world. Just, just man, if I could just impact it just a little bit to change the world as Jesus did, one meal at a time. I love this. I like thinking about it this way. You know, I was thinking about just our, our outreach, our way of, of meeting people where they're at. If we're going to follow Jesus, to be able to do this and go into the communities, go into the neighborhoods, and seeing Jesus, how he did it, and I was thinking about how, do, how can we share this? And then I was, I was on Facebook the other day, and my, I have a really close friend of mine, Mike Lamb, who's a a ministry leader out in Boston, in the Boston church. And his dad, Roger Lamb, posted like a beginning of his sermon and he used this statement. And I was like, yes, this encapsulates what I'm trying to study and see what I see in the book of Luke. And so I, I called Mike. I was like, Mike, can I steal this from you? So just so you know, I've stole this from Mike Lamb. This is my friend. All right. We're partners in the gospel together. But I love this phrase. Jesus came to change the world one meal at a time. He understood the power of food. He understood the power of a good meal. So much so that he uses this strategy as he sends his followers out to the surrounding communities to spread the message of his kingdom. Look, I want us to read Jesus's evangelistic plan and how he's going to spread the gospel. All right. I want you to look at this. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus, the Lord, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So they got 72 people in their ministry. And he sent them out two by two. All right, teamwork. Great. Ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful. You know, the, the nation, the, the, the land is, is plentiful uh, of souls, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Pray to God of the harvest, uh, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you. This is us, the church, right? We are to go. He is sending us. He says, out like lambs among wolves. Imagine being in that setting, listening to these words. You're like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to be sent out like a lamb among wolves. Wait a minute. What do wolves do to lambs? You're going to send me out like a what to a who? Do not, in fact, not only like a lamb into the wolves, but don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Can you imagine being one of the 72 listening to this? Jesus, did you really think this through? I mean, no bag, 
No sandals. What, you're going to go barefoot everywhere? Not even greeting anybody on the road because, I mean, what if I meet somebody that can help me get some sandals in the bag? When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus' master plan. You're sheep among wolves, guys. Don't take anything with you. Don't greet anyone on the road. Stay focused. Initiate going into somebody else's house and eat and drink their food, whatever they put before you. And in that setting, in that meal setting, in that home, proclaim God's kingdom has come near to you. I don't, under, I, don't, I don't know if I was one of the 72, if I would be like, this is genius. No bags, no luggage, no friends, just my buddy. And I'm supposed to just expect people to take me in, feed me. And then over the meal, in that setting, then proclaim the gospel. This was Jesus' plan. Interesting, huh? I, I, I find this amazing about Jesus. Because this is exactly what Jesus did. I'm going over to your house to eat tonight. Hook it up. You know? And in that setting, he understood the power of the meal. The intimacy that's created at mealtime. The connection, the community that it builds. The safety that someone feels at the table. To then be able to have a conversation that could change their life. He knew, Jesus knew, that a meal was a place to display grace, to show grace. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 7. Let's read this together here. If you don't have a Bible, please get close to somebody who does and turn with me there to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 5 tells us of a meal he's having with a, with a tax collector and other sinners. And we talked about this last week where he makes the declaration that he is here for the sick, not for the healthy. Luke 7 tells us about a dinner he's having at a Pharisee's home. So one of the quote unquote healthy guys he's having at the Pharisee's home. Where, and, and in the middle of dinner, this woman enters the dinner place with a certain history and reputation in the community. And she happens to know that Jesus is there, and she humiliates herself, humbles herself, humiliates herself for him. She gets down on her knees and starts wiping his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. It's sort of an awkward situation. She enters the dinner area, the intimate area, and starts to do all this stuff in the, in, amongst everybody there. And yet at this meal... While eating, Jesus is totally fine with this. He uses the opportunity to share a, a story, a parable, with the hosts of the dinner. And he tells them about a money lender. He said, here's a money lender, and he had two guys that owed him uh, money. 
And one of them owed more than the other, but he comes in, the moneylender says, you know what, I forgive your debt. And Jesus says, which one of those two guys in debt is going to love more? And the, the host, Simon is a host, he's a Pharisee, he says, well, the one who owed more money is going to love a lot more. And then in verse 44, here's kind of the punchline, the moral to the story in Luke 7, verse 44. He turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus uses the scene, this interaction to teach those around him at the dinner table about God's greatest attribute, his grace and his unconditional love. The Pharisee, Simon, and the other Pharisees were concerned with those around them and their views. You know, who is this woman? Why is she here? Doesn't he know that she's a sinner? Doesn't he know that she has a reputation? This is actually my house. Why is she even in my house? Why is she kissing his feet? That's a little strange. That's a little weird. I don't know if I can eat now that I've seen this. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? But Jesus uses this intimate setting to teach us a lesson and to teach his hosts a lesson. Showing grace. He had showed grace to the Pharisee by accepting his invitation into the house. And then in the house, while he's there, after he had just said, I'm not here for guys like you, I'm here for the sick. One of these sick women, the the woman comes in People, a person that Jesus specifically came for. And he uses this setting to teach about forgiveness. He shows them, shows her grace. He shows her respect and dignity. He forgives sins. Because Jesus has come for those on the margins. The ones that don't get invited to the dinner. The ones who are on the fringes of their community and society. Is that not your story when you think about it? Is that not my story when, we, when I think about it? We didn't deserve to be invited to the dinner. We haven't done anything to earn this grace and forgiveness. And yet Jesus says, I came for you. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You know, I recently read a book by a famous Christian author named Philip Yancey. And many here probably have heard of him. And he wrote this book called Vanishing Grace. Whatever happened to the good news? The idea that in the church world, um, we have the greatest message anywhere. And yet the church, instead of showing this and sharing this, he's talking in broad generalizations, instead of giving this to other people, has sort of kept it for themselves. This is my grace. And then we don't treat people with grace. And we don't show this grace. And I'm not saying this is a, you know, for our 
you know, local uh, community believers here, but, but there is a sense that when you've been a Christian for a long time, you start, obedience and judgment become more the norm than patience and grace and love. Does that make sense? This is, I mean, at least I know for myself, this has been my journey as I've grown up as a, as a Christian. I, I, I realize the, the longer I've been a Christian, the more easy it is to become judgmental towards people. I don't know how I would feel if a woman came into my home and started wiping my feet with her tears. Would I kick her out of my house or would I show her that same grace that Jesus did? Now, you guys will say, well, that's Jesus. He's perfect. Yeah. But there is an example that he's setting for us here. There is a calling that he's, he's calling us to follow him. If we are to follow him, are we not to imitate his heart, his love for people? So anyway, this guy, Philip Yancey, he writes this quote. I love this quote. He says, the church is, above all, a place to receive grace. It brings forgiven people together with the aim of equipping us to dispense grace to others. I love that definition of what the church is. We are a forgiven people that, that this setting brings us together to equip us to then go out into the world and dispense grace. Here's a little forgiveness. Here's, and his point being, the, the, the biggest thing that the, our community, our world needs is not judgment, it's not repent, and you know, it, it's grace. Because this grace will lead to repentance and love and change. And it may take a little bit longer than what we're normally used to, but it works. You know, one of the most ideal places and times to dispense grace, to display grace, is at and during a meal. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, think about the 5,000 that Jesus fed with that miracle. Did they deserve to be fed? No, but he did it. This was his grace upon those 5,000 people. He fed them, knowing that many would only return for the food. Grace was displayed at a meal without expecting anything in return. You know, recently, um, uh, a couple weeks ago, right, there was a couple of very famous celebrities that had committed suicide. And one of them, uh, many know, is uh, a gentleman named Anthony Bourdain. And I don't know if you've ever watched that show, Parts Unknown and stuff like that, but Marina and I love that show. We're like, man, he's traveling everywhere. And, and even in his brokenness and his darkness and whatever he was thinking, he understood this, this concept that food, that meals, could bring people from divergent cultures together and at least have peace for that moment. He understood, I think our world understands the power of meals to bring people from different cultures, from different venues together and for that hour, two hour, three hour period, there's forgiveness, there's grace, and then people will leave and continue on their opinions. I think Jesus understood the power of this and used those opportunities to display this grace in people's lives. I want to challenge you with this question because I feel like this is, this is going to push us a little bit. We've got to open our doors, our homes to sinners, to the poor, to the unclean, to the hurting, to the complicated. 
Uh, in my role as a minister, I've, I've had plenty of difficult conversations. And it's amazing how different those conversations are when we have food. Somebody comes over to my house, and I know it's going to get real in here. And yet we feed and we eat. I'm telling you, the conversation goes totally different than what expected. If you come to my house and we're not going to feed you, it means something's really going on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm really just kidding. You know, I'm totally just kidding. Um, but I, I want to I I challenge you to think about this question here. This summer, think about it. Who is an unlikely guest you can share a meal with? This summer, think about it. Who is an unlikely, unlikely guest you can share a meal with? You know, teenagers, uh, a lot of you guys just finished high school, but you think about, you, you know people in your high school who were like the loners. You know, sit by themselves. Or even on campus, you on campus, you see people sitting by themselves. Who's an unlikely, maybe that's a person that you can meet them where they're at. Hey, you know what, let me buy you a meal. That's what I love about our, um, our efforts in the community for Christian Outreach and Action. Um, with the uh, um, in downtown Long Beach and our campus ministry, our downtown ministry does this every month, and and it's so cool because what they've done is not only they're feeding the homeless, but recently uh, DK, who leads our um, Champions of Hope ministry, they had so many volunteers going there, and they said, you know what? He said, you know what? Let let's stop getting all busy work here, and let's just sit down with people and have conversations with people. And, you know, some people stiff-armed them, and, but some people, DK was telling me, like, man, we just sat down, and I had some incredible conversations with people. And we realized that people, they, they're okay with the food, but they felt so respected and loved when there was a conversation involved. And they felt like, I come here all the time, and nobody ever talks to me. They just kind of feed me. But what they're thirsting for, what they're hungering for, really, is a connection with another human being. Somebody to understand them, to draw them out. Who is an unlikely guest you can share a meal with this summer? You know, Jesus understood that um, meals provided an opportunity for building community and intimacy in one another relationships. We're not going to read these, but I want you to write them down. Luke 22 and John 13 through 17. Luke 22 tells us the time when he sends his apostles into town to prepare the Passover meal. He arrives and, and they're eating on the floor together. This is a Jewish meal they're having. They're reclining against each other. And he reaches out for a piece of bread and he breaks it and he says, I want you to eat this. This is a new covenant in my body. Please eat this. And, and in the future, when you eat it, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. We understand this to be the Lord's Supper, right? The Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, whatever supper you want to call it. But it was a supper. It was an incredible meal. And, and, then he's, and then he takes this glass of wine. It wasn't grape juice. It was wine. And he takes a sip and he says, hey, I want you to drink this. Pass this around and drink this. This is a representative of my blood that I'm going to pour out for you. In this meal, there's a setting of intimacy and community that is being built to the point where Jesus is vulnerable about what's about to happen to him. And what do the guys do right after that? They get in an argument about who's going to be the best and the greatest in his kingdom. But Jesus had created an environment over a meal, a safety for people, his guys, to feel like they could get in an argument. After just hearing that Jesus is going to die for them, they're getting an argument about who's going to be on his right hand, his left hand. And Jesus uses the opportunity to teach about true spiritual leadership and greatness in God's kingdom. 
In John, John 13 through 17, he gets into even more detail about this intimate supper, this intimate dinner, where uh, not only is he uh, revealing what's going to happen to him and his blood being poured out and his body being broken, but he washes their feet. He teaches them about loving one another. He talks to them about remaining in the vine, bearing much fruit. And then he talks a, a whole uh, uh, chapter about um, the Holy Spirit. Hey, I need to leave so that when I leave, because when I leave, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. So in this setting, he's teaching, he's guiding, and the man in this room feels so safe and so connected with Jesus over this meal that it creates the space to share vulnerably, to share intimately with one another. Jesus understood the power of a meal to create an environment of safety that would build community and joy and the love in that community. Um, you know, I love, Marina and I love hosting people in our homes, so much so to the fact that sometimes when nobody comes over, uh, our kids are like, wait, nobody's coming over tonight? And we'll be like, no. And they're like, all right. It's just, like, it's just you guys? Like, it's just us? This is really going to be boring, you know? Like, that's sort of there because we, we love bringing people in the home. The past couple months, uh, past month and a half or so, we had, uh, we have four uh, small groups in our singles ministry, and we hosted each small group, uh, came through our house, and just, we fed them, and we had some great discussion. And, but it was a, a way for Marina and I to just get to know some more of our singles uh, disciples in, our, in the ministry here. And uh, it was just an encouraging time. Uh, we laughed. Uh, we shared uh, deeply with one another. Um, uh, we laughed some more. Uh, there were some awkward silences. It's all good. This is what happens when there's meal and there's, uh, and, and there's community. But what we're, what we're trying to do is create the space create the environment to where people can feel like, hey, we're building community here. We're building the one another, one an- as, I, as I said before, the one anothering of one another. Um, I love when we do our Harvest Fest every year. It's just a church outside of the walls, and we're just having food and enjoying time together. I love seeing pictures of, of family groups gathering together, and there's a meal, and there's laughter, and there's joy, and there's intimacy, and there's community uh, being built. You know, I love our two elders, Joe and Eads and Dick G. You know why? Because they love to eat and they love meals. And, you know, whenever you go to Joe and Sarah's house, uh, even if it's for a short meeting, for some reason, Sarah decides to just bring out like a, a spread of things for you to choose from to eat. And it just, it, you know, when you're going to the elder's house, it calms you down a little bit. All right. They're going to feed me. On a full stomach, I can hear anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's just awesome. And I love that about Joe and Sarah. You know, if you're ever going to travel in any city in the United States of America, talk to Dick G. Because he will have researched every premier restaurant in that area and will give you exactly where to go and you will not regret it. You will love it. I'm telling you... It, this is gonna this is gonna put him under the bus. But if you go to this, we're gonna have a big conference in Orlando in a couple of years. If you just kind of tag on with Dick, Dick and Anna, you may end up going to some bomb restaurants. I'm just saying because the research that goes into it is incredible. But Dick, I love Dick because Dick understands there's a power in eating together, in drinking together, and sharing a meal together. It builds intimacy. It builds community. 
I think there's so many. I remember our first moved here. Uh, Marina and I, we first moved here. We went to visit every uh, family group uh, in our family ministry, in the married ministry. And it was awesome. It was a great way to get to know people and meet people. And I remember um, going to Nestor and Linda Sosa's house. Okay, so you walk into Nestor's house. Nestor and Linda Sosa, they're an awesome uh, shepherding couple in our singles ministry. And you walk in, it's just everything's pristine. You can't touch anything because you're afraid to get it dirty. You know what I mean? And then their family group just had like, and I was coming from leading a teen ministry. You know, teen ministry is great, but it's a lot of chips and salsa. It's a lot of, you know, pizza. It's a lot, you know what I'm saying? You got a Nestor and Linda's house. My goodness. I was like, this is the thing. This is one of the things that convinced me to never leave the, the married ministry. I was like, this, this food is incredible. I mean, the, 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 every, it's like prosciutto and like cheeses and empanadas and like all kinds of different stuff. And you're just like, oh, I love the married ministry. You know, like it was awesome. But it created in their family group just there's an intimacy. There's a love there because of the amount of meals. <laughs> Big meals <laughs> that they've shared together. And I, I love seeing that. This is the power of a meal. Jesus understood the power of a meal. So I want to encourage you this summer. Use that. You want to build, you're feeling lonely. You're feeling a little bit disconnected from the fellowship. You're feeling a little bit like I miss my old friend, my, 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 I haven't seen this brother in a while or this sister in a while, invite them over for a meal or take them out for a meal. Do something with food involved. I'm telling you, it will build, rebuild, and continue to build that intimacy in the relationships. Lastly, Jesus, Jesus understood that meals helped his followers to engage in his mission. Look in your Bibles in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I love this story. I love how Luke is so specific. The dude was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, and since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I mean, what are you going to say? No, you cannot come over, Jesus. I just saw you heal ten lepers. No, you can't come. No. Zacchaeus is like, yeah, come on over, bro. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come upon to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. With the whole crowd around him, Jesus could have gone to anybody's house, but he sees a short guy in the tree and he knows he's a tax collector. All these guys, I don't, I don't but he's somebody I came for. Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house tonight. Everybody around him is muttering, oh, he's going to the house of a sinner. 
Jesus is like, no, I'm going to that guy's house. That's who I want to hang out with. And in that meal, Jesus creates the space. I don't know why I'm holding this. Um, Jesus creates the space and the environment. I'm getting hungry. That's what it is. In that setting, Jesus creates the environment to proclaim his kingdom in an awesome way. To the point where Zacchaeus, just in that setting, feels, wow, I'm repenting. Here, half of my possessions to the poor. Everybody else that I've cheated gets gets four times over. The guy's wealthy. He's got some money because he's cheated people out. But he's confessing. He's being vulnerable. And he's saying, from here on out, I'm all in for you, Lord. And Jesus says in that one setting, salvation has come on here because I came to seek and save what's been lost. Jesus understood the power of a meal to engage in the mission. You know, over the years, Marina and I have had been able to have some incredible conversations at our table with seekers, with people that are outside of the faith or searching their faith. And, and sometimes we just actually meet them here at our service. And they get kind of surprised when we invite them over for dinner because they're like, wait, the pastor wants to invite me over for dinner? Okay. You know, and I don't care. I'll use the pastor card. I don't care. You're coming over because I want to have a conversation about your faith. And I just want to understand and see where you're at. And then all of a sudden it creates the space. A little carne asada on there, some, some frijoles, some rice, you know. Or maybe we'll go Italian and do some, some, some nice pasta, whatever it is. All the brothers in here are like, bro, finish up. Let's go. But it creates the space to have a conversation. Does that make sense? To meet somebody where they're at. Now, I'll tell you what's even more special is when when you go to that person's house. I mean, Jesus did not care. He had no shame. He was so sure about why he was here. He was able to say, hey, I'm coming over to your house tonight. Like, he doesn't even ask. Zacchaeus, I'm coming over tonight. I tried to pull that with George, I tried to pull that with George and Sarah Matthew the other day. At mid, we were having our midweek gathering here on Wednesday night, and they said they're going to have this big Indian lunch and food. And I was like, hey, I'm coming over to your house. You know, I was not able to attend, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I tried to, I'm trying to imitate Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I don't mind it at all when I have a college student or, or somebody come up to me and say, hey, Rube, can I just come over for, for, for dinner? I don't mind that. Whether it, we're able to do it or not, <laughs> it's a different story. Or whether, you know, I don't like to spring it up on my wife. I've learned the hard way on that. But, um, but I just realized there's a power. I think Jesus understands this. There's a power of the meal to engage in mission. So I want to challenge us today. This is a, uh, another quote from that book, Vanishing, Vanishing Grace. Philip Yancey says, We, Jesus' Jesus's followers are the agents assigned to carry out God's will on earth. Too easily we expect God to do something for us when instead God wants to do it through us. Some of you may feel like, well, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give. I don't got any money. I don't know how to cook. I don't... Listen, there's a proverb that talks about, you know, better some vegetables served with love than a fattened calf with hate, you know? Look, the, I, the issue here is not what's served. 
or what's eaten. The idea here is creating the space, the environment, to have great conversations, that God would do something through us. So your move, your move, as we, as we take communion here in a couple minutes, your move, your, your step that I want to, you to think about and consider and take. Meet someone at a table once a week. Just this summer. Just this summer. Just make it an, a, a, a point. In my schedule, I'm going to meet someone at a table once a week. It may be you taking a colleague out for, for, for lunch during the week. And maybe you do that all the time, but maybe this time it's creating the environment and the space in that, in that meal to have a great conversation about your life and about how God's changed your life. Maybe it is uh, being involved a little bit more like Christian outreach and action opportunity and serving the community. Maybe it is just you yourself saying, you know what, um, I've noticed my neighbor, uh, they're just stay home all the time. They're kind of, they seem like they don't have anybody visiting them. I'm just going to go over there and invite them over or bring food over to them and say, hey, I just want to, I don't know, just thinking about you. just wanted to bring something over for you. It may be, um, you know, on campus, just, you know, maybe you don't have any money at all and you're just like, you know what, I got some peanut butter. I can do some peanut butter and jelly pretty tight. You know what I mean? And you just bring those up to campus and say, hey, you want to have a sandwich with me? I mean, it's just little things like this, but I want to encourage you, push yourself a little bit. This summer, I'm going to have at least one meal uh, with somebody outside of the faith. I'm going to have one or, or one meal with, with somebody to build, to build intimacy a little bit more in our relationship. And the idea here is to be intentional. Be intentional. We can go through the whole summer and, be, and have, a, have a bunch of you know, fun, and then look back on the summer and realize, I missed an awesome opportunity. In our community here in Long Beach, they got movies in the park, they got concerts in the park, they got all kinds of stuff going on. It's free fun. What if Christians in the greater Long Beach church just showed up with a picnic basket and their family and their friends, and you're just there having fun, and then you get to meet different people in your community that you would, have, you would have never met. And Ren and I, we take the kids with the, my family and some of the other families. We go to Cerritos, this heritage park, those concerts in the park. It's awesome. We have a great time. We might lose one of the kids here or there, but we'll find them eventually. <laughs> you know? Running around everywhere. But it's awesome because then we get to just meet different random people in Cerritos that just go. It's going to challenge us, push us a little bit to imitate Jesus, let's imitate him, our Lord, our Savior, who came to seek and save the lost. He came to serve and not to be served. He came eating and drinking. Let's imitate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and change the world one meal at a time. Let's pray together.